Let's stand together and let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. <clears throat> like many of you, I'm fighting some allergies today, so we'll uh, work with that, and uh, hopefully there won't be much of a distraction. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us, and you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the celebration of Independence Day. We thank You for the all that this independence and this celebration um, represents. We thank you as a people living in this nation for the freedoms that we enjoy that are in some respects unique in human history and unique even today in all of the world. Thank you. Thank you for whatever went on by your Holy Spirit to give these Founding Fathers the kind of wisdom to protect us not only from one another, but to protect us from the overreach of government and the danger that it represents to its citizens. And we pray, Lord, that wherever our government is reaching into the realm of people's lives that belongs only to you and not to them, that in your grace you would use your servants in that realm and us within this nation to push back against that and preserve the blessing that is the freedoms of the United States of America. And we look to you for it. And Father, we thank you so much for your word and the ultimate freedom in life that is ours, that is found in your Son. And we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that has brought us to him. And we thank you for the life that is ours as a result. And we pray that you would use our time in your word here today to um, enrich us and to deepen our relationship with you and our understanding of you, that it might produce praise and thanksgiving and worship in our hearts. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And so this morning we continue a summer series that we began last week entitled Encouragements from uh, the Book of Second Corinthians. And last week uh, with the Apostle Paul we celebrated God as the God of all comfort earlier in the chapter. And this week we want to join the Apostle Paul in his celebration of our God as our deliverer. And we'll focus on the three things primarily that Paul focuses on in terms of this theme of and reality of God as our deliverer as he lays them out for us, as he speaks first of all of his trouble and then the spiritual lesson that he learned in his life as a result of the trouble he faced and then God's deliverance ultimately of him out of his trouble. And with the realization as we look at this, that Paul writes this in his uh, second epistle here, not merely to inform us separated some 2,000 years by uh, these events in his life. Paul wasn't the kind of person who you kind of had to pry uh, personal information out of him. And, uh, but he shares uh, with the openness that he shares with here because he wants us to realize that what God was to him and is to him, it, that same God is to us today, that these same truths that marked his life in this season of his life, that these truths mark our lives 
uh, as well. He said, I would not have you uh, ignorant. And the Apostle Paul, again, wasn't the kind of uh, Christian who tended to tell people his problems. And, but there is a place in, in life for uh, speaking of our problems. When the speaking of those problems that we faced, what God did in the midst of it, God's deliverance, it's important for those things not to just live with us and then ultimately uh, die with us, but there's a time for those things to be spoken. And like no other letter in the New Testament, as Paul would write them, they, uh, some of them give us these personal glimpses at, of him, but there's no uh, concentration of uh, what he thinks, what he feels, all of it's sanctified. And, uh, and what he went through, like the book of, of 2 Corinthians. And so here, uh, again, I don't think it's easy for him to share these things, but by the Spirit of God, he was prompted to do that for our encouragement. I was reading one commentator this week, an Englishman who ministered in, uh, in England during uh, World War II and that whole era, and, uh, and he spoke of the fact that there's a kind of person who will make the most of anything they go through. A minor surgery in their life will provide them with a subject for years of conversation uh, going forth in their uh, lives. And then he uh, spoke of a conversation that occurred between two businessmen uh, in a business meeting uh, during that same era of uh, World War II Europe. And the one man went on and on to the other man about a train on which he had traveled, how it had uh, narrowly, uh, uh, it had been attacked from the air, and he couldn't stop talking about uh, the excitement of the attack, the danger of it, the narrow escape. And uh, uh, the other man in the end said quietly, well, let's get on with our business now. I'd, I'd like to get away fairly early because my house was demolished by a bomb last night. And uh, so there's this contrast in terms of what we all uh, feel is, is trouble or we feel is tribulation uh, in our lives. And there is a, even the person that's the most private uh, needs to bring out those experiences that glorify God for the blessing of all of us. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul uh, does here. He speaks of a great trouble or great trial that he endured. And of course, none of us can really appreciate a great deliverance. None of us can appreciate God as a great deliverer uh, unless we, at some time or another, find ourselves in great difficulty or a great trial. And we will only know God as a great deliverer. We will only recognize Him as a deliverer in our lives uh, as He would allow trials to come into our lives that He would then uh, deliver us uh, from. Uh, the, we would have no appreciation for that deliverance, no appreciation for Him as a deliverer unless we find ourselves occasionally in circumstances that we desperately want to be delivered uh, from. So we must know the one in order to know the other. And to know the other, to know God as a great deliverer, is worth whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in, uh, so desperately wanting to escape uh, in order to provide that appreciation. And here the Apostle Paul, as he describes the trial, uh, or, or the trouble that he found himself in. I mean, he seems to like ransack the human language uh, in an effort to in some way communicate the depth of this trial that he and his co-workers uh, were in. The trouble, he says in verse 8, came to them in Asia. It refers not to what we know as Asia today, but Asia Minor, which was a province in the Roman Empire, we know it today as modern-day Turkey. This trouble that he uh, finds himself in, he uses the same Greek word that we looked at last week, and that is the word philipsis. And so, uh, referring to a crushing trial, a 
crushing difficulty, the kind of trial that is such a great weight upon our lives that we find it difficult to uh, suffocating almost under the pressure. He goes on to describe them as being burdened beyond uh, measure. The trial has taken him all the way to the absolute border of his resources. Uh, the absolute border of his physical resources, uh, their mental resources, their emotional resources, and, and not only to that place, but it has now taken them beyond that. And that kind of a trial, that kind of a trouble is very, very difficult one. It's a frightening one. Because as long as we feel like we still have some control in a situation, in a trouble, in a trial, we still have two cents in our pocket or two quarters to rub together to throw against this thing, we feel like we've still got some measure of control. But when we lose complete control of, of being able, or complete ability to control a trouble, the depth of the trial that we find ourselves in, it can be frightening because we feel an extreme vulnerability as a result of that, a vulnerability that we don't like as human beings. And it's uncomfortable in a fallen world, and it's uncomfortable in a world full of fallen people. There's a vulnerability uh, about that. And, uh, and the, the situation where here he is, here they are, uh, they've thrown everything that they have against this uh, difficulty to no effect. And then he says, burdened above strength, verse 8, and uh, the difficulty was beyond their power to resolve it. They could pull in all of the favors, pull in everything that anybody owed them, pull all of their resources, and it couldn't touch or change the smallest part of, of this trouble that they were in. And then he goes on to say that they, we, even dis, we despaired even of life. And uh, they were, as we would put it sometimes in our day, they're at this point staring death in the face. And, uh, and their life was hanging by a thread, we might say. And the doubts begin to creep in at this point in this kind of a, a trouble where you begin to wonder whether I'm going to survive this, Thalipsis, this great trouble, and uh, not uh, being able to even hope that we'll see another day on the other side of it, the possibility uh, of, uh, of experiencing life as I once knew it, life once again on the other side of it. And then <clears throat> as he's uh, resigned to death at that point as they all are he goes on in verse 9 to say yes we had the sentence of death in ourselves and they cross that final kind of threshold the depth of the trial that they're in when you look at the trouble that you're facing and you sincerely think to yourself I will not survive this this is where I die and this is how I die this must mean this must be how it feels just before you die. And that's where they are in this trouble and in this trial in, in their lives. Now, it is important <clears throat> to recognize that Paul is not saying, in saying all of this, he is not saying that he is afraid of death. Uh, that, that would be to completely misunderstand it entirely. Uh, he is just talking about the depth of the trial as, as they looked at it and, and their assessment of it. And of course, when you read this kind of thing as he goes layer after layer after layer, three, four, five layers of description of a trial like this as he lays it out progressively, you almost need a selah moment as the Bible uh, would talk about it, as you find in the Psalms. It's easy to kind of speed read through the Psalms and, and the, the, po <clears throat> the poetic communication, the poetic communication that it is. And so often the psalmist, David or others, would then at the end of a stanza say, 
uh, Selah. Take a moment to just stop and reflect upon the truth that's just been communicated here and internalize it before you race on to uh, the next stanza. And so this is a way of just stopping and realizing these aren't just words on a page. The Apostle Paul and a group of brothers and, and sisters, co-laborers, this was the very strait that they found themselves uh, in in the course of, of their Christian service and their Christian life. Now, Bible scholars have made a very brave effort endeavoring to identify the particular difficulty that Paul found himself in here that he was describing. Because Paul's whole life was filled with philipsis uh, and trouble. And so they say, as they would look at the book of Acts, the history of the early church, as they would look then at Paul's epistles to try and narrow it down and say, ah, here is the trial. This is the situation that he's talking about. Because we all want to understand as much as we can understand. And so they conclude, well, this was Paul when he was dragged out for dead outside of the city of Lystra and left for dead. Or this was Paul because of the great riot that was produced in Ephesus uh, uh, by the silversmiths there because the effect of the gospel through the Apostle Paul had put such a significant dent in the sales of idols within the city. But whatever kind of proposition they put forward as is, is the identification, there are glaring holes in it. They, there's always something that doesn't quite match what Paul is, is describing uh, here and the, the theory kind of collapses. Clearly, we don't need to know uh, the exact circumstances that Paul is in here in order to take away the lesson that Paul wants us to learn, the encouragement that he wants us to learn, or he would have included uh, it in, in, uh, in the passage here. I'm inclined to think the, the Apostle Paul, and of course he writes this inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I'm inclined to believe that as he writes this, that this is a deliberate uh, uh, thing in, in terms of keeping the account as uh, focused simply upon the effect and the, and the greatness of the trial rather than the circumstances of the trial. And it certainly frees us from any temptation, a temptation that we oftentimes have, is we look at what Paul says, and if we can understand the context of it, and then we would look at what Paul is saying here and say, ah, but this, what he's saying here, only applies to trials that big, or trials uh, like this situation. And then we would compartmentalize it in some way and it would cease to then be a comfort to us in all the manner of tribulation that comes into our life. So I think all of this is entirely uh, uh, deliberate on Paul's uh, part so that uh, the severity of the trial is the focus. It's something that we can look at, and this applies to us in any difficulty uh, we face. And, uh, and of course, facing death, as he talks about it here, is the ultimate uh, uh, circumstance in terms of uh, the ultimate trial in life. It is oftentimes that. It is not always that. For most people, the greatest trial a person will face will be uh, surround their death and the final moments of their death. But there are troubles and there are trials in life that are even worse than death. And, uh, and what Paul has to say to us as an encouragement is uh, fits any trial and tribulation uh, we find ourselves in. Paul goes on second here, and we notice the spiritual lesson of this, uh, of, and the outcome of this trouble, the tremendous spiritual lesson that they learned. The lesson they learned he puts for us there that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises uh, the dead. And so this trial had reminded them, as we so often need the reminder of our own frailty, our own inadequacy in the face 
of life in the world. Sometimes we get a little money in our pocket, or we get a little position, or we get a few possessions in our life, and we begin to think that somehow that's a hedge against any and all things that might come against us in life, and we begin to think ourselves strong, and, uh, and trials like that come in, and they so overstrip, outstrip all of our uh, all of our resources, that they remind us of how utterly dependent we are on God in our Christian life and in our Christian service, and indeed in all of life. And, and, and by moving their trust, as Paul declares here, their trust in difficulties a little bit more off of the trust of self in these kind of trials and a little more fully uh, onto God. And, and Paul declares two facets, really, of the same truth here. Number one, our trust in God always comes at the expense of our trust in ourself. And our trust in ourself always comes at the expense of our trust in uh, God. And, and he said, this trial, this difficulty... In our lives, it moved us from a trust in ourselves into a trust in God. And he communicated it as a good thing. And really, really big troubles, really, really big thalipsises reveal the condition of our faith, the truth about who and what we really trust in when things get hard, whether it's in ourselves or uh, in God. And again, these kind of trials, they move our trust a little bit or a lot off of ourselves and onto God. And then as a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we survive uh, the trouble, we realize that our trust in God, because of that experience that we've had, our trust in God has been strengthened, our trust in God has been enlarged, and that our trust in ourselves has been weakened and diminished to uh, some degree. And that's a wonderful thing to have happen uh, within our lives. It is important to realize that this wasn't for them and it isn't for us a once and for all kind of thing where we go through some great trial uh, in our lives and we say, there, Having gotten through that, that's the biggest trial I've ever been through in my life. And having got through that again, I'll never trust in myself again, but will only trust in God. I could wish uh, that these kind of trials uh, put kind of a once and for all uh, on learning that lesson, but it, it doesn't. It's uh, something permanent occurs within our lives. But there's always that tendency to want to uh, to make the first resort in any trial or difficulty uh, ourselves, and then God as a, 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 a second and, a, and oftentimes final kind of, uh, of resort. And the Apostle Paul and his co-laborers, they already knew the importance of not trusting in self and trusting in God. They already had that down pretty well in their lives. They'd already had plenty of experiences that... Uh, nurtured and matured that truth within, uh, within their lives, but this trouble took them more deeply into that uh, truth. And this is the refining of our faith. And this refining of our faith will never cease in this life because to be moved progressively from a trust in self to a trust in God is one of the greatest things that can happen in a human life. It is, it, it, it is a, a fabulous what it accomplishes in our lives. It is one of the greatest goods that God can do in the lives of His children is to move us from a trust in ourselves to a greater trust in Him. Because when He accomplishes that, the end result certainly is a life of greater peace. Uh, it is a more confident life. When I have a, a track record of God's deliverance in my life from difficult circumstances, then when I face lesser circumstances or equal circumstances in terms of severity in my life, I already have this history with God, and so I face them with a confidence that I might not otherwise face them uh, with. 
It's a fabulous progression that God works um, in our lives, and it certainly moves us into uh, greater spiritual effectiveness, greater fruitfulness in our, our Christian service. And it's all a part of ultimately preparing us uh, for entrance into the glory of heaven, an abundant entrance into the glory of heaven. And Peter brings this out in his first epistle, which speaks to trials in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it, is test, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ upon our entrance uh, into heaven. There's an old adage in this vein <clears throat> that I like a lot, and, and it goes like this. God must push us beyond our own resources in order to discover His. God must push us beyond our own resources in order to discover uh, His. I like to live my life within the limitations of my resources and then believe I'm walking by faith or believe that I'm actually walking in His resources. That seems a lot safer to me uh, in that clutching onto some control in a situation. But what we would miss in life, not just in terms of experiencing, but in the development of our character. If our character, we lived our entire lives within the confines of our own resources and never discovered His. And I find concerning me that I don't volunteer, uh, by and large, <clears throat> I trust God in them, but I don't sign up for thalipsises in my life. I'm not, I'm not eager for them to come into my life, but I recognize what a small, shallow person I would be if I was never forced out of my resources and onto His, and how small and shallow my relationship and understanding of Him would be as well. Well, they had these Indiana Jones movies, uh, Jones uh, uh, way back when. I understand he's doing another one. It'll, it'll be, he rescues people from a convalescent hospital. Um, <laughs> evidently, I don't know how, I don't know what point this becomes unbelievable on uh, some of this. But there was this one that uh, impacted me. I don't remember anything about the movie, but uh, they're trying to get away somewhere, and there's, they come to the end, and there's this, this sheer cliff on this side, and then there's a, a gap and a, a sheer cliff on the other side, and they're supposed to take this uh, step out into this abyss. And somebody takes this uh, uh, dirt and throws it out, and then suddenly this path that was previously invisible, now you can see it. And, uh, and God doesn't always throw dirt out on it so we can see that. But His promises are even more sure than that. And, we, and we'll never know the surety of His promises uh, and, and even the fruit of His promises unless He allowed circumstances like this to force us to step out into those promises. Now, let me be quick to add that not every tribulation or thalipsis in our lives are something that God did. So you can't, we can't look at it and say, this disease or the loss of this child, God did it, so I would learn this lesson. This is a fallen world, and terrible things happen because this is a fallen, broken place. One day, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But this is a tough place right now, and it's tough for everyone that's in this, in this world. But God comes along those kind of trials at the very least. He can initiate, but He comes along those trials, and then He says, I'm not going to let this go to waste. I'm going to teach them something about myself and who I am in trials in, in, while uh, they face this particular circumstance. And as miserable as that kind of an experience of this kind of a trial can be on our flesh, 
to genuinely be able to say, my life, Lord, uh, this situation, it's in your hands. You know I've thrown everything I have at this, and it hasn't made a dent. And so I surrender to you, and you do what you see fit with me in this circumstance. And it's one of the most frightening experiences in life, but it's also one of the most freeing and exhilarating moments in life. Because we, again, we learn things about God that we probably couldn't learn any other way. About His power, about His wisdom, His grace, His perfect individual knowledge of our lives, how intimately He involved in our life He is, that He could uh, work in the personal circumstances of our life. It certainly deepens greatly our confidence in God. It always draws us closer to God. And you notice how among God's people, when, when death comes close, and this is a near-death experience that they're in the middle of, And one of the things about a circumstance that reminds us of how frail we are and how close death is, is that it forces us to God. A Christian will typically, uh, there's the the sanctifying influence of near-death experiences, and it pushes us to God. So someone knows as a Christian that perhaps unless God does a miracle, they have weeks or months left of their life. And what will they typically do with that? They, are, they will prepare even more in earnest for uh, meeting the one face to face that now they've seen all of these years through a glass darkly. It has a way of drawing us closer unfailingly uh, to the Lord and how valuable uh, that is in our lives uh, even long before death. It refocuses us on what's truly important in life. And these kind of trials, these kind of thalipsises do another thing that's very important in our lives in that it causes all of the theology, all of the wonderful things that we know about God up in our noggins and up in our heads, a storehouse of biblical knowledge. And these thalipsises cause all of that knowledge to drop the most important 18 inches in our lives from our minds down into our hearts. Truths move then from being something uh, that I merely know to something that now becomes a part of my daily life. I now know it experientially in the nitty-gritty of my life. And there's a great tendency to think as a Christian that I am spiritual on the basis of how much I know, as opposed to being as wonderful as knowing is and as necessary as it is as opposed to being spiritual on the basis of how much I know and now uh, is a part of a living part of my life that characterizes the nitty-gritty of my life. And it is these kind of trials that force our Christianity from being a theoretical Christianity or our spiritual life being a theoretical one and taking it right down into the reality of our lives. And that's an invaluable uh, byproduct of these uh, kind of, of trials. It's very important to notice that very first word that Paul uses to introduce the thought there in verse 9. Again, he begins verse 9 by saying, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. He completes the description of the trial. But you notice that next word, that. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And Paul is communicating that the Philipsis had a purpose, and they always have a, they had a purpose in their lives. They always have a purpose in our lives. So he, he says, this isn't just a trouble. I'm not just telling you about all of the troubles that I've been through, all of the troubles that, that I've seen, but he said this trouble uh, was a trouble that 
uh, came with a spiritual purpose in our lives. Now, if you've ever been like me, and don't shout out, but uh, at the beginning of a thalipsis or even a trial that's less uh, uh, than that, I typically look at any kind of trial that comes into my life as uh, the purpose of it is for me to do everything that I can to get out of it as quickly as I can, which keeps me in the trial longer. And so it, it takes me a little while before I realize, oh, that's what God's trying to teach me here. And if I don't learn it, I'll repeat the grade. I'll never get out of this. And to stop and to look at, at, at these kind of seasons, and it's one of the, one of the great experiences in a, in a philipsis, is to, to look at it and say, this is, God is teaching me something that I probably couldn't learn any other way in life. And when that light goes on, and we recognize that dimension of the difficulty, the trial, then everything changes in terms of, of, of perspective. If you've ever watched a Christian go through a, a horrific trial, devastating, crushing trial, you watch them from a distance. They can be in your own family. They can be in the church. They can be friends. And you look at what they're in the middle of, and you think to yourself, I don't know how they're surviving. I don't know how they make it from one day to the next in the trial that they're in. I'm concerned for them. I see the weight loss that's going on. I see the physical impact that it's, it, it's having on them. And, and you marvel that they're even surviving uh, the trial at uh, all. And then they get to the other side uh, of the trial. And then they say something like, as hard as that trial was, and as much as I never want to go through a trial like that again, I would go through all of it again in order to learn what I learned there between me and God and in order to become the person that this trial has made me into. And that becomes so valued that that, that, becomes, that that becomes the thing that causes the trouble to become dwarfed. You never forget the trouble, but you never think of it independent of what I learned in that. That's what rises up uh, to the top. And so often when we hear a Christian say that kind of thing, we think, they're exaggerating. That's what Christians are supposed to say. I mean, they must have learn that from someplace. Until then, we go into our thalipsis, and we go into our trial, and then we have that in entire progression occur within our lives, and then we learn from God something that we know that we know that we know, God, this is the only way you could have taught me that uh, in, 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 based on the knucklehead that I am. And I am so thankful that you taught me that, however hard the circumstances to, to uh, learn that. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. We went through a trial that was so difficult that it brought us face to face with death, and yet I would go through all of it again to learn what I learned there between me and God because that's the immeasurable gift that comes out of these kind of seasons, because they're eternal. They will mark our character uh, forever. Uh, Paul testified finally there in verse 10 that God had delivered them from this, this trouble, this thalipsis, and he declares that God had delivered them from so great a death. In other words, the only explana explanation for our survival was God's uh, deliverance. You can't uh, attribute it to the collective wisdom, the collective power, the collective resources of us. This was completely something God did. And then he went on to say that God 
uh, does deliver us in, in the present tense, and then he moves into the future tense in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. In other words, Paul said is he here that his past deliverances, God's past deliverances of him and us are the guarantee of future deliverances. Because that's what God is. One of the things that he is, is he is a God who delivers. And he is the same yesterday, today, uh, and forever. Now, you do have to be careful not to overstate the promise here. The confidence of God's future deliverance should never be taken to mean that we will never experience uh, or taste death as Christians. That he will always exercise in, in the way that we think of deliverance uh, this side of glory or this side of death in delivering us from these kind of trials so that we would uh, never ever die. The ultimate deliverance is to be delivered from this life and into uh, the, uh, the, the, the next one. But uh, it, when the Apostle Peter was delivered from prison, in Acts chapter 12, and uh, James was beheaded. And yet, even as Peter escapes the beheading at that time, ultimately he ends up dying a, a martyr's death. And I think what Paul is getting through to us here is the recognition uh, that we are immortal uh, until our Christian service is completed. And I can only speak for myself in terms of the deliverance of God in my life and, 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 and that I wouldn't want it to be an endless deliverance that would keep me forever in this world. Or, or I might be in, in that movie. Okay, one joke too far on that. Bridge too far. I don't want to live five minutes beyond the grace of God in my life to live in this fallen world because I couldn't do it. That's the dependence that he brings within our lives in terms of a dependence upon God moment by moment and day by day. It'll be a wonderful thing one day when that de deliverance is manifest in delivering us from this corruption and delivering us into the glory of heaven. And so often we're fighting for every split second of the remains of this life before we get into heaven. And God bless you. Everybody's different on how they handle that. You want to fight for every second, you do it. And I, I support you uh, in that. But I don't care who we are and how we face that. The moment we are in heaven, we will... Uh, perhaps think to ourselves related to God is, what took you so long? I mean, all we know is this. And one day when we're in the glory of heaven, we will not consider this to be any loss at all and, and death to be that great deliverer. Now, having a, uh, experienced a lifetime of, of God's deliverance as Christians, uh, and, and fully confident in his power to do so again, and, uh, uh, and that uh, th there's that confidence that gets built as, as we go through life so that one day, we, uh, if and when, barring the rapture, we do face death. And we realize, no, I am going to leave here and I am going to enter into heaven. But having a history of God's deliverance within our life, we will have the confidence of knowing that I am going into heaven not because God does not have the ability to deliver me here, but that my ministry and my service is over, and now it's time to clear out and enter into heaven. And here Paul reminds us that the great troubles we can sometimes experience in order to grow spiritually as Christians, they're always overseen by God by our Deliverer, who will be faithful to deliver us from the trouble once the lesson is learned. And it is such a comfort and encouragement to us as Christians to realize that we are not in this Christian life 
without a very significant safety net underneath us. And it is the person of God, our deliverer. You think about the net that is under the acrobats at a, a, um, uh, at a circus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible for times of trial in this regard is Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge, and then here it is. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And that's related to every single one of our lives. That's the greatest safety net that you can have. His everlasting arms are underneath each and every one of us. We are not navigating life alone or without a net. And again, as we go through these kinds of difficult trials, as they teach us these priceless spiritual lessons and watching over the entire process intimately uh, in the moment uh, is our God who delivers, who takes responsibility, his responsibility very serious in terms of his position as deliverer in our lives. I'd be negligent if I, in verse 11, if I didn't also point out Paul's gratitude for the prayers of some within the church at Corinth for him while he was in the midst of this thalipsis. It appears they knew what he was going through, though it's a mystery to us. And, and, and all Paul is saying is what it means, what prayer means to a Christian in these kind of situations. And you take someone who's in a thalipsis, uh, that kind of a trouble, you say, what can I do for you? Well, when they're in a thalipsis, they can't throw money at that. They can't throw power at that. There's nothing they can do to leverage that. There's nothing in the world that can budge this thing. There's only one in the world that is greater than the trial that they and we find ourselves in, and that's God. And so that's why they will say, would you please pray for me? I don't need anything, but would you please pray for me. And Paul let them know, thank you for your prayers. They were effective to us in this situation. And it gave witness to the world that was watching Paul and his co-workers, thinking they were going to die. And when they didn't, it was a witness and a testimony to their uh, God by a watching world. In this church, with some regularity, people will make mention to me that they pray for me. And I know many, many people pray for me, and many more that, than will ever tell me that they, they pray for me. And my answer is always the same. Thank you. I am a product of God's grace and the prayers of God's people. And the impact that these things have and the value of prayer in these situations, we may not be able to offer people uh, anything physical or tangible in terms of bringing relief to them uh, in, in that great difficulty. So often what is happening is happening almost exclusively between them and God. But we can offer them our prayers and what they mean to a person in that kind of a situation. And so the revelation of God is deliverer, the deliverer of his people, and his work of such deliverance uh, fairly fills uh, the entirety of the Bible from one end of it to the other, from God's delivering of the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt and right on through. And the God who delivered the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt is our deliverer too. And the God who delivered Job from the intensity of that spiritual warfare that he was involved in is our deliverer too. And the God who delivered Joseph from the midst of those family problems and issues and betrayals that went on is our deliverer too. And the God who delivered David from all of his enemies is our uh, deliverer too. And on we could go to speak of Noah and Abraham and Daniel and many, many uh, others. He is a God who delivers. And I don't think that we think of God that often as deliverer. But here Paul reminds us of this aspect of his work in our lives. And it's a good reminder. And it's a good meditation. 
You know, one of the problems that we have with our God <clears throat> has nothing to do with Him. So don't, don't pull your pad out and expect me to give you a list. There's nothing wrong with Him. But He is so beautiful. He is so perfect. He is so glorious. He has so many facets to His beauty that you can't put your eyes on all of it at once. And so His love takes our breath away. It takes our focus. His grace, His righteousness, all of these things. And then sometimes this aspect of God as our deliverer can be get lost in the shuffle of so much that there is to notice and recognize about God. And nobody knew that more than the Apostle Paul. And so he takes this time just to remind us as Christians, take some time to remember him as your deliverer as well, and to remember all of the things that he has delivered you out of, and give him praise and give him thanks for that, and to remember that what he has been, he always will be to you and to me. And for those of us who find ourselves in that place this morning in which you are right in the middle of that tribulation, in the middle of that trouble, that he is your deliverer and he will be your deliverer. His work of deliverance will be the final say on this trouble that you find yourself in and not the trouble itself. And that's a wonderful wonderful confidence in our lives and one of the many ways that makes us rich as Christians. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Hmm. Father, we thank you for the gift that these verses are to us for many reasons. But certainly that it turns our attention to you to consider you in a way that we don't always think of you. And that is as a deliverer and as our deliverer. And we thank you as you see our lives that are open and naked before you with whom we have to do. And we give you thanks, Lord, from our own personal lives and testimony to your faithfulness to being our deliverer. And we thank you, Lord, for the confidence that is ours going forward in this life to know that what you have been in our lives, you always will be. We give you our thanks and we give you our praise from the bottom of our hearts today for being our deliverer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.